Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the righteous judgment of God as we pick up in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. This time shall we turn in our Bibles to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. After these things, after the destruction of Babylon, religious and commercial, chapters 17 and 18, I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. The judgment of the earth as far as God's wrath being poured out has been completed on Babylon. We have one final little battle here to take place in chapter 19. But the vials have all now been dispensed upon the earth of the judgment and the wrath of God. And now the time has come for the Lord Jesus Christ himself to return in power and great glory and establish God's kingdom upon the earth. And because of this, there's great rejoicing in heaven. That great multitude, I expect personally to be a part of that multitude. I expect to be there in that heavenly scene declaring hallelujah, Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. All the way through, we have had this affirmation that the judgments of God are true and righteous. And I think that this has been declared all the way through because this is one of the areas that Satan constantly challenges concerning God. The fairness of God's judgment or judgments when he deals and meets out his judgment upon man, there are always those who are ready to challenge the fairness of it. There are always those who say, but what about the people who have never heard? What about little babies and so forth? God's going to be fair and just. This is the declaration that is made all through the period of judgment True and righteous are thy judgments, O Lord. The concept that Satan brought to Eve in the Garden of Eden that God wasn't fair, that God was trying to hold her back from something that was beneficial. God was somehow trying to protect himself. He had his own self-interest at heart when he told Eve not to eat of the tree, that God is holding back something good, he really isn't fair to you, was the, was the insinuation behind Satan's remarks. All the way along, the fairness of God's judgment has been challenged. I don't know what God is going to do in a lot of cases. I do know that whatever he does will be absolutely fair. True and righteous are thy judgments, O Lord. Never worry about 
the righteousness of God's judgment. You can be worried about the righteousness of my judgments. I sometimes make snap judgments. I sometimes judge without having all of the facts in hand. And so my judgments are often wrong. And I have to apologize sometimes for my judgments. That's something God will never have to do, apologize. Oh, my, I didn't know. Well, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> It'll never happen. True and righteous are thy judgments, O Lord. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. That is, spiritually, in chapter 17, that great religious system that corrupted the earth. Who was it? Uh, Marx that said religion is the opiate of the people? I agree 100%. I think that religion is a tremendous curse upon the earth. I have a hard time stomaching religious people. I believe that religion is vastly different from Christianity. I believe that religion is man's endeavor to reach God. And it's the various ways by which men are attempting to reach God. Christianity teaches that God is reaching down to man. Exactly the opposite of religious thoughts. Man trying to reach God. In Christianity, you have a God that is reaching out to man. That is why religions fail, because you can't start with a finite base and reach to infinity. That's why Christianity is successful. It's no problem for the infinite God to reach to finite man. Religions tell you that you have to do certain things in order to please God. You have to accomplish certain works in order to be accepted by God. Christianity tells you your righteousness is as filthy rags. You just have to come on the basis of God's grace and love for you and cast yourself upon his mercy. But that God is merciful, but there is really no good work that you can offer to God that would be acceptable in his sight. But he will accept you just as you are if you'll just cast yourself upon his mercy and ask for his mercy and grace. Whoever comes to me, I'll in no wise cast out. So, the great religious system, spiritual fornication, is that endeavor to worship God in an unprescribed way. How does God tell us to worship him? God is the spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you try to worship God in an unprescribed way, setting up little idols or whatever, which God has forbidden, that's spiritual fornication. That's worship of God in unprescribed ways. That's religion. That's letting religion enter in. God wants a loving relationship, not religion. He doesn't want you to be religious. He wants you to have a relationship with him, a loving relationship, not a legal relationship. So God has judged the false religious system that corrupted the earth with their spiritual fornication. He has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now, Jesus found himself at opposition with the religious forces of his day, and it, were the, it was the religious people who 
prompted the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was the religious leaders that insisted that the Roman government put him to death. Jesus Christ was a threat to the religious leaders, as he would be to all religious leaders. He's a threat to them. Because he tells you you don't have to be religious to be accepted by God. God loves you and receives you just as you are on the basis of his grace and love and mercy. So Jesus was at odds with the religious leaders of his day, and they are the ones that prompted his crucifixion. It was the religious leaders that prompted the persecution against the church in its beginning and throughout history. That's what religion does. Religion is threatened by life, by spiritual life. So God has judged that religious system and avenged the blood of his servants at her hands. A lot of the persecution against the Christian has come from religion, religious leaders. And again they said, hallelujah, for the smoke rose forever and ever. That is of the judgment against Babylon. And the 24 elders representing the church and the Four living creatures, the cherubim, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Here we find uh, the term hallelujah used really for the first time in the New Testament and is used four times here. It's a Hebrew word that has become universal, hallelujah, and it is praise to Jehovah or Yahweh. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. So here is the praise being given to God, and now the encouragement for that praise coming from the throne of God. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and of the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Imagine the millions upon millions of of Christians that will be gathered in that glorious assembly. And when the voice of the Lord comes exhorting us to praise God and give glory to him in our response to it, that tremendous praise, crescendo of praise that will arise. And John heard it like a voice of many waters or rushing waters and the voice of mighty thunderings. Glory, I can hardly wait. (laughs) Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, will take place here on the earth. But now we are ready. He's ready to return and establish his kingdom and uh, take us unto himself. And the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife or bride has made herself ready. And to her, that is the bride of Christ, the church, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, 
for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. What is the righteousness of the saints? Paul the Apostle said, as he was recounting to the Philippians his past credits as a Jew, Hebrew of the Hebrews, circumcised the seventh day, tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church. But he said, those things that were gained to me, those credits that I had, my brownie points, I counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them but refuse that I may know him and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which was of the law. Circumcised, eighth day, so forth. Not having that righteousness, which was of the law, but now having the righteousness, which is of Christ through faith. And so it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imparted to me through my faith in Jesus Christ. God accounts my faith for righteousness. And so I'll be clothed in linen, pure and white and clean. And the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, that righteousness that God puts on my account because I believe in Jesus Christ. And so it's imputed righteousness given to you by your faith in Christ. It's not a righteousness of works. It isn't that you've, you know, been faithful in your devotions and you've witnessed to so many people and you've read so many chapters of the Bible and you've spent so many hours in prayer and you've you know, done all of the religious devotional things. Not that at all. I am accounted righteous by God because I believe and trust in Jesus Christ. There is the basis for my righteousness. That's good. If my righteousness were dependent upon my keeping the law or keeping rules or, or regulations. If Let's say that we said, all right, now every day you should be reading five chapters out of the Bible. Every day you should be spending 20 minutes on your knees in prayer. Every day you should witness to at least two people. Every day, and we set out these rules for righteousness. Then you may be very good all week long and you put your little star behind each of the categories each evening. Yes, you know, all my gold stars. But Friday you blew it. And you didn't get your prayer time in. Too bad you're unrighteous Friday night. Just hope the Lord doesn't come Friday night. You might get left. No, no, no. You see, my righteousness is not on such a tenuous thing as my faithfulness to devotions or works or whatever. My righteousness is something God accounts and imputes to me because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Thank God. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, the Lord in the end here is really putting a lot of emphasis upon the fact that these are true sayings. 
Over and over, you'll find this repeated as we approach the end of the book. These are the true sayings of God. You can believe this. You can trust in this. These are the true sayings of God. It is interesting to me how that God took such pains to protect the innocency of Jesus Christ at the crucifixion. Judas returned the money to the priest saying, I betrayed innocent blood. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. I've examined him. I find no fault in him. The thief said, we're here because we deserve to be here, but this man has done nothing amiss. You see, God is making sure you know that Jesus is innocent as he hangs there on the cross. It's not for his crime or guilt. It's for your sin that he is dying. Now as the Lord closes out his revelation to man and as he begins to talk to us about the glories of, of this coming age, the marriage supper of the Lamb, blessed are those that are called to be a part in this. These are the true sayings of God. You can believe this. You can trust in this. And I fell at his feet to worship him and he said unto me, See that you do it not. I am your fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now, John is like so many people. We want to worship the instrument that God uses to bring his knowledge or love or grace to us. One of the great dangers of being in any kind of ministry where God is using you, one of the great dangers of exercising any spiritual gift is that people so often look at the instrument that God uses. They begin to admire the instrument. They begin to worship, in a sense, the instrument that God has used. And here is John falling on his knees before the angel that is giving him all of this revelation and it's so overawed and thrilled with what is in store for him. He falls at his feet to worship him. He says, hey, hey, man, don't do that. I'm just like you. I'm a fellow servant. Worship God. You see, it is a part of man to need and want to worship something. And man seems to find it easier to worship an object that he can see rather than an object that he cannot see. And so this is the hang-up of man, as Paul said in Romans 1. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Man gets hung up. He stops short. He sees the glorious creation of God and he worships the creation rather than the creator. And so as John is making the same mistake, the angel corrects him and said, hey, hey, don't do that. I'm just a fellow servant with you. I, I, I just am a servant of God, just like you are. You worship God. And if you're wise and are involved in any kind of ministry at all, when attention and adulation and these kind of things begin to come your way, you'll be wise as the angel to say, hey, don't worship me. Worship God. God does not want you taking credit for the work that he does, receiving glory for his work. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is, prophecy centers around the person of Jesus Christ. 
That's what prophecy is about. That's what history is about. History is actually his story. He's the center of it. It all focuses before Christ and uh, after the year of our Lord. But he is the center, the focal point of history. It is his story. So prophecy, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all centered around him. The Lord's not so interested in telling you, you know, who you're going to marry or uh, what's going to happen to you next week. The spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The prophecy centers around the person of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the witness of Jesus. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Revelation on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Revelation 19 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and watch over you as you... Go forth in the name of Jesus to bear witness of God's love and God's truth to an indifferent world. May your week be filled with God's blessings as the Lord guides you step by step in the fulfilling of his purpose and his plan that he has for you this week that which he wants you to accomplish for his glory. So God be with you and keep you in the love of Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For those who like to read books electronically on their mobile devices, you can now download most of Pastor Chuck and Kay Smith's books to your Kindle reader or any mobile device such as your cell phone. What a blessing to be able to have these resources with you at all times, especially when you're in a place to minister to another person. If you read ebooks, then you know the advantage of being able to search, find, and minister within seconds. 
And with all of Pastor Chuck and Kay's insights into biblical wisdom, this is a great opportunity to be able to gain from their book so you can share the good news with others. If you would like more information on how to download Pastor Chuck and Kay's eBooks, you can call the Word for Today customer service department at 1-800-272-9673. That's 1-800-272-9673. Or to download most of Pastor Chuck and Kay's eBooks online, visit thewordfortoday.org. Again, that's thewordfortoday.org.